And the rest of us, if you grab a Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. This is our second to last lesson on discernment. Next week, Lord willing, will be our last lesson on discernment. And then my plan is to to do a 12-lesson series on the 12 minor prophets. So one Wednesday on each minor prophet. We'll see how that goes. Um, I mean, it's going to be 12 weeks. It's going to be one on each minor prophet, no matter how far we get into each minor prophet. So uh, that's the plan for not next week, but two weeks from today. So Proverbs chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God." Discernment is not something that is available or that can be attained apart from other disciplines of the Christian life. It's not a fruit that we just pick from the tree without having to do some work. It's something that grows in us. We saw that from Hebrews chapter four, chapter 5, verse 14, right in the beginning of our series, that we grow in discernment. We learn discernment. We work at becoming discerning people. And tonight we'll examine related pursuits and some important prerequisites to discernment as we want to grow in that. So let us discuss the spiritual posture of a discerning Christian. What is it that we, the things that we do in order to achieve discernment? Discernment, we kind of pick it up as we go in practicing these other uh, Christian virtues or Christian practices throughout our lives. And the first thing I want to say tonight is the commitment of or unto Discernment. There are some things that we see here in Proverbs chapter 2 that are commitments unto discernment, things that will cause us to grow in discernment. Do you notice all the ifs in these five verses? It's one long if-then statement with several protuses and one apodosis. There's several if statements, one then statement. Look with me. The first one is verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure them, right? Then in verse 3, yes, if you cry out for discernment. Then in verse 4, if you seek her as silver, then, verse 5, will happen. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So we have all these ifs. The ifs are the pursuit. The ifs are the commitments unto Discernment. These are the things that need to be in place for the then clause in verse nine, 5 to come to pass. And in these verses, we see the lifelong commitments that will enable us to be men and women who both pursue and display discernment, whether it's easy or not. And now we talk about discernment being a gift, and yet every Christian is called to be discerning. 
the, the difference in the gift is that you're able to achieve greater discernment and perhaps in an easier way than everybody else. But all of us are still called to be discerning because discerning, discernment is being able to figure out truth from error, right? Be able to figure out right and wrong and then live according to what is true. And all of us are called to do that. So the first thing this passage tells us is that we are to pursue discernment, that we are to go after uh, discernment. Uh, we must be actively involved in the pursuit of discernment. You see that in verse 1 where it says we are to receive the words that are given to us. And then in verses 1 and 2, it says we are to treasure up the commandments, making our ears attentive and incline our hearts to understanding. There's this active, it's not, we, are, we are inclining our ear, we, we're stretching as it were our ear to hear the words of, of the word of God that we might grow in wisdom. It says here that we must also exhibit humility before God, knowing that without divine wisdom we are hopeless and helpless. It means we are crying out to God in humility as we pursue discernment, because on our own we're not going to be able to get there. Throughout the scriptures, one of the key characteristics that is anti-discernment is proud, pride. Pride and discernment don't go together in the Bible. Humility and discernment go together in the Bible, as we're going to look at a little more in detail in a moment. And as the pastor says, we need to see ourselves in the need for wisdom and in the need for discernment to the point that we seek it and we cry out to God for it. We need to be aware of our own foolishness and must earnestly desire to have that foolishness put aside. All of us have a measure of foolishness in us. And we need to be aware of that and we need to be able to put aside that foolishness is there. And we also need to exhibit humility before man, not only before God, but before man, as we pursue discernment, allowing the wisdom of God to come to us through people he has chosen in our lives. We, we learn wisdom on our own as we read the Bible, but we also learn wisdom from other people. And if we're not humble around other people, we're not going to be willing to receive uh, their, their wisdom, their instruction and to grow in the sermon. So the first commitment, the first uh, uh, commitment to discernment is, is to pursue the sermon, to want it, to pursue it, to go after it. Secondly, and it's just in the order that's found in the passage, not necessarily in order of, of a logic order. Second, we need to desire discernment, which should come before pursue, right? <laughs> you don't, you're not going to pursue something you don't desire. But in the passage, you have this desire you read the passage, you see that uh, the, the Solomon is saying, you must desire discernment. We need to see wisdom as treasure, as he says in verse 1, and treasure my commands within you. We cannot expect that wisdom and discernment will be immediately bestowed upon us in full measure. So we need to treasure it, we need to pursue it, we need to desire it, and we need to pray for discernment. In verse 3, yes, if you cry out, for discernment, cry out to whom? What's implied here? To God for discernment. So we need to pray for discernment. We cry out to God, admitting our failures to discern and humbly asking that God will help us do better in the future. We ask God to grant us his insight and clarity. We rely on him to equip us and to empower us. And we might even pray with Paul as he prays in Philippians 1 verses 9 and 10 where he says, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, 
that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So we pray for this sermon. We pray that God would show us how to figure out truth from error, right from wrong. Doctrine and ethics, doctrine and moral. So we, we pray for this sermon, and then we seek discernment in the Bible. Throughout this, these five verses, Solomon is telling his son to go look at the words of God that are coming through him in order to get discernment. So we seek discernment in the Bible. We pursue knowledge and wisdom and discernment by pursuing the word of God. A person who wants to be discerning will necessarily and always be a person who commits to reading and studying the Bible on a regular basis. So you are not pursuing discernment if your Bible is always closed. You're just not. You're pursuing something else, but not biblical discernment. A person who is pursuing discernment will be a person who is motivated to study the Bible individually as well as in the context of the local church. So we seek discernment. That's part of the commitment of discernment. And if you're not in the Bible, in the Word of God, if you're not studying the Word of God, if you're not growing it, you're not seeking discernment. And you're not becoming a discerning person either. Any questions so far or comments? Now, what's the context for discernment? What's the context in which discernment is developed? So we have the commitment. Now, what's the context? Where is discernment developed? One of the best places to develop discernment is the local church. The local church is provided by God as a means of grace and as, a, as the context for much of the personal growth and Christian experience. The local church is the Christian's most natural context in which to learn, to model, and to practice spiritual discernment. So you don't go to the mall to learn your spiritual discernment. You don't go to the Y or the gym to learn your spiritual discernment. The local church is where you go to learn and to model and to practice spiritual discernment. It's also the, the church is a context in which we can learn tolerance toward others. Ooh, he's getting liberal. Tolerance toward others? Well, Romans 12, 18 says that as much as within ourselves, we're to live at peace with all people, all men. Tolerance, and I mean tolerance here in the original sense of the word, Tolerance today means acceptance and celebrate, to accept and celebrate. But tolerance, that's not what the word has meant for, since the beginning of it coming into the English language. Tolerance meant, I disagree with you, but I'm not going to kill you. That's a, in a nutshell, that's what tolerance used to mean until the last couple of decades. And in the church of Jesus Christ, you're going to have disagreements. We're going to be tolerant of one another. And that's the part of pursuing discernment, is knowing when to kill and when to live with, right? And I don't mean kill literally, but when to really push an issue or when to back down. Um, years and years ago, Al, uh, Albert Moeller, who is the president of a Southern Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, came out with a, a helpful order of, of, of importance issues, that the issues of first importance, issues of secondary importance, importance, and issues of tertiary importance. And as we live in the local church, we learn which ones are which. Which issues make 
a person not a Christian? And which issues are important for the gospel? And those are the first order issues. Which other issues, the second order issues, are issues that don't allow us to perhaps work together in the same church, but we're still brothers and sisters. And which issues are those that we can find in the church, in the same local church, and still be diverse in that way? And as we, as we are in the local church, we learn what they are and how to live with each other in peace when the Bible allows us to do that. Does it make sense to you that the, the context of the local church is the best context to learn uh, discernment and to practice discernment, to model discernment and to learn um, tolerance toward others and to learn understand to understand which issues are worthy of great attention in our attempts to be uh, discerning. Does it make sense to you that this is a good place to learn that and to model that and to practice? Okay. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> it is in church that we live we learn to live peaceably with the others and we learn to serve others. Asaph is it's, uh, one of the writers in the book of Psalms. He wrote at least 12 Psalms there. Uh, he's best known for Psalm 73. And he provides an example of the role of the, the church in discernment. He was feeling downcast, even considering abandoning the church. Uh, not the church, but the faith completely. Because he was envious of ungodly men who were able to prosper despite their sinful lives. And he says this in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Why is it that they are prospering and I'm not? They're wicked. I am serving the Lord. They have everything. I have nothing in this life. He was, a, he was ready to abandon the faith over that. It was too painful for him. And then verse 17 says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. When Asaph went to the house of the Lord, seeking God in the word and in prayer, God helped him discern how wicked men will come to ruin. God helped him see that the treasures of this life are fleeting, and that he has a treasure far greater than anything this world can offer. By, by meeting with the Lord and his people in the Lord's house, Asaph's hope is restored, and he leaves the sanctuary praising God. Here is a great, great example of the church, the local church, the fellowship of the brethren, the being with the people of God, hearing the word of God, praying to God together, giving discernment to see what's going to happen to the wicked and to turn him from wanting to deny the faith to clinging even more closely to his God. So, a person who wants to grow in discernment must belong to a local church and must place himself under the authority of, a, of godly leaders so that they can grow in discernment in that context. Any questions on that or comments? Okay. How about the character of one who is growing in discernment? What is the character of a person who is pursuing um, growth in discernment? Well, discernment doesn't always come naturally. The flesh gets in the way, the world confuses us, and we, we often hesitate to make judgments and distinctions because we might draw un, unwanted attention to ourselves or because schisms uh, or cause schisms with other, other believers. So uh, discernment is not necessarily something easy to pursue or to practice, 
But a person who wants to be discerning must be a person of humility. The same way that a discerning person is always a student of the Bible, a discerning person is always humble. It's a characteristic of the one pursuing discernment. And that person has humility before God, acknowledging our need for Him and our sin against Him. And that person is also humble before men because he needs other people to learn from. We need other people to learn from. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with the wise man will be wise. So we need humility to understand that there are wiser people around us, and we need to walk with them in order to become wise as they are. And the one who wants to grow in discernment must be also meek. There's a, there's a slight difference between humility and meekness. Humility is, is kind of a state of mind, is a state of being. Meekness is a gentleness that allows us to ex- express humility in our dealings with others. So meekness is humility in practice. Meekness is a humility in our interactions with one another. It is a gentle attitude and a gentle behavior. Meekness acts in a way that builds up rather than tears down. And that's important because, remember, in discerning things, we're trying to figure out what's right and wrong, what's truth and error. So discernment, by definition, requires some analysis and will require pointing out wrong things. But we can do that in the way that builds up, or we can do that in the way that tears down. The discerning person knows how to do it in the way that builds, builds up. Any SNL fans here? You don't have to recognize. Okay, one person is willing to say. The other one just raise one eyebrow if you are. But there is a, there's a, this character, is an older character. I think her name was Debbie Downer. Okay, so now we know how many people have seen SNL, right? And she, what she said was true in the context. Right? She was not saying false things according to the information we had. But by the, the name of the character, Debbie Downer... She, it was always with the purpose of bringing the situation down, tearing down. Everything she was saying was true. And perhaps they needed to be considered, but the way she would do that was with the purpose of, or at least the result would be tearing down or bringing people down. A discerning person is able to communicate that same truth with the purpose of building, building up. Does it make sense to you? Uh, the discerning person is able to take apart things with the purpose of building back up, not just the purpose of, of destroying there. And that's why a discerning person is also compassionate. Discernment based on compassion will cause us to see what it is we appreciate about others rather than simply causing us to tear them down. Are, are, you, are you able to truly appreciate what's good about somebody else. Um, stories about Emily's great-grandmother, Mrs. Brumbaugh, that she was so nice that she could even find good things to say about the devil, not necessarily encouraging him. You know, some, I don't know if it's a true story or not. I mean, it's been repeated enough to me that I'll just call it true. But that, that's it. She, you know, I, I bet Mrs. Brumbaugh, you can't say anything bad about the devil. He said, well, he's very persistent. You know, so uh, 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 that's the idea of a compassionate, discerning person. 
was able to find. That is something that comes not naturally to me. Okay? Uh, somebody teaches a lesson here at a church. It's a great lesson. And uh, uh, so my mind works like this. Yes, the 99 things that are right, he knows already. And I, the only thing he needs to, do, to know is this one thing, because the other, all, everything else is right, this is the one thing. So that's the one thing I'm going to talk about without first recognizing all the good that happened over here, right? Because why waste time on the things that are already in place? We don't have to fix those. This is the one thing we need to fix, so let's go talk and, uh, about that. And that's not a good way to be a discerning person. We need to be able to also find what's good. It is only the grace of God that allows any of us to overcome the darkness that lurks within us. This tendency to just want to tear down instead of um, building up. And yet, that's what we're put together in order to build each other up into the fullness of Christ. And we have to be discerning people that practice discernment with compassion in order to do that. Any questions or comments on that? Katie. But does this... Yeah. If the person understands that that's what's going on, uh, and that the, then the person understands that now they're battling with God if they choose not to follow, right? In essence, the person removes himself, herself out of the picture, right? The, the one speaking yeah, removes herself out of the picture, she and she, now the, the, the other person is arguing with God, then it is a discerning person. Okay. Now, if you're saying... Yeah. Now, if, if the person, the other person has no idea what they're doing, then that's not discernment, right? If the person leaves a conversation and has no clue that the, the, you know, if you're trying to communicate that this is sin and you shouldn't be doing that, and the other person leaves without ever realizing that's what you're talking about, that's not discernment. It's maybe beating around the bush, it's something else. I know, I just sit there like, oh, how is this going to come across? Yeah. Yeah, so there's that, and there is what I do, which is I don't care what they think, and that's not good either, right? So um, that's not uh, uh, the best. You know, you, you have to do with care and compassion and with desire to bring them to Christ. And uh, you know, if you look at uh, uh, what uh, Jesus says in Matthew eighteen fifteen to twenty, where he says, "You go to them who are sinning and you confront them," and we think of the word confront as getting in their face and yelling because that's how we view confrontation. But it says you confront them and if they agree with you, then you've gained a brother and there's great rejoicing, right? So it's a, it's a, win, it's a winsome confrontation. It's a winsome presentation of the, of, the, of the problem and it's done because you care for that person that you're talking to. Does it make sense? It's not just meant to be right not because you want to be have the corner of the truth, but because you care for that other person and want them to change because it's good for them and brings glory to God. Does that make sense? Okay. 
Anything, any other questions? Okay, Amy. Um, can, so the, our heart motivation matters. Okay, mm -hmm. think about that. There's one more thing I was going to say about Kitty, I forgot. Is that, but even when somebody speaks the truth harshly, as the receiver, you still need to say, is, is, man, this hurts. But is it true? And if it is, then you, you need to deal with it. You need to act upon it. Even if it was presented poorly, even if it was presented to put you down, if there's something that's saying that, that's true and that the scriptures say you shouldn't be that way, regardless how it was brought to you as a receiver, you still need to, to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. So that is discernment, but it's also discernment—the ability to receive the truth, even if poorly presented, and let the Spirit of God use that to change you. A discerning person receives truth. Period, even if it's poorly presented. You figure out how to ask your question yet? The same, the same issue. The same issue. Right. Um, I don't, I'm not going to pick a particular issue. I'm going to pick a particular way that you feel. Right? You decided you're going to talk to this person about a real problem in their lives, but you're going to talk, you're going to, talk to them because you're going to show to them how much they hurt you, and their presentation of whatever it is is going to be unto the purpose of vindication. Right? You want to deal with the issue because you want to be vindicated. You want your name to be vindicated. You want to, you know, to feel like you've got revenge sort of thing. That, that's a wrong attitude. Now, you're hurt. You, you, the person did something that was truly wrong towards you. And you're hurt, but you're coming to them because you also know that that's hurting them. And you want their good. And that's why you're approaching uh, them to be reconciled. That's what Matthew, no, if with Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 together, that's what you see, that there's always a concern for the other person, whether you're the one injured, Matthew 18, or the one at least who is thought of as having injured, you, you, your concern is always for the well-being of the other person, not for vengeance, not for vindication. Um, uh, and that's what also Paul says in Romans chapter 12, towards the end, maybe 19 to 21, where vengeance is God, we pour love, and love sometimes comes across as pointing out issues, truth and error, um, right and wrong, but for their good. Does it make sense? And that changes, I think, tremendously our disposition in bringing the issue, and also we might change their disposition in receiving the issues. That's why Proverbs 15 says, verse 1, that the soft answer turns away wrath. Right? And what is context there? you're going to go talk to somebody, they're expecting you to be angry with them. And all of a sudden, you deal with them in kindness instead of anger. And that turns away. You know, they're, they're ready to fight. They're ready. You know, they're, 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 all the, the adrenaline is going. They, they know that you're going to come angry. And they're, they're ready to just to punch back whatever way it is. And you come with kindness, a soft answer. And all of a sudden, pff, they're disarmed. 
and it turns away wrath. Now, that's a truism. It means does that happen? That generally, that's how things work. Doesn't mean that uh, it work that way every single time. Is that a good enough example of? Okay. Anything else? Five, but Matthew five is a long chapter, so we have to find the one. <laughs> we have an invasion. <laughs> um, um, Matthew eighteen fifteen through twenty, and then Matthew five is the one that says when you know that somebody has a problem with you, when when somebody thinks you've done something wrong, drop your gift on the way to the altar and go talk to them. So that's why I bring those two together. It's always concern for the other person that's there. Now, how do you know that when you have discernment? What is, what is the key evidence of discernment? What's the key evidence? Yes, Chris, in the back. Okay, but what's the key evidence in your life that you're growing discernment? Okay, humility, sure. But it's more objective than that, actually. Growth in? Growth in Christ? Huh? Growth in <laughs> <laughs> Cannot use this, the word to define itself. Yes. Oh, I don't know how you're going to do in those tests, Scott. <laughs> obedience. It's obedience. Are you growing in obedience to the word of God? Then you're growing in discernment. Are you not growing in obedience to the word of God? Then you're not growing in discernment. It's as simple as that. The proof that a, that a person is discerning is found in obedience to the Bible. Discernment is not just a mental judgment about truth or error. It is judgment that results in a response of obedience. This is true. We're going to live that out. Remember the last little part of, of that, the, the definition of discernment way back when we saw was to discern, to figure out what's truth and what's error what is good and what's evil, and then living according to what is true. So obedience is the final outcome of uh, discernment. Uh, Proverbs 28.7 says, Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son. And then the person with wisdom and discernment is a person who obeys God's law. Psalm 119 verse 100 says, I understand more than the ancient because I keep your precepts. So obedience to the word of God is really the greatest evidence of discernment and growth in discernment. Scott, uh, this one, it's Griffiths. If I could add one thing to this. You guys have to sit in different parts of the sanctuary. Space. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Go ahead. But, you know, I've noticed that, you know, in obedience, there's obedience and there's joyful obedience. And, you know, sometimes it's a struggle. When I was really on in, a Christian, in my Christian walk, sometimes it was difficult to follow. And later on, it's joyful. It's just what you do. Right. But obedience is obedience, right? Um, and and it's, it's good at any time, right? And obedience comes from the heart. Whether it's joyful or not is going to be this, the good kind of obedience. For example, Lord, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to. I want to do this over here. I don't want to do this over here. I'm just going to do it because that's what you tell me in your word I'm going to do it. And that's a struggle. 
right? And that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is growth and obedience. And sometimes it's leaps and bounds, that's great joy. Sometimes it's a walk. Sometimes it's a crawl. Sometimes you're just kind of grabbing by your nails, going to the same. To the, and sometimes it's just, it's just facing the right direction. But it's all good obedience. Does it make sense? So, uh, yes, we want joy and obedience. But all obedience comes from the heart. Uh, in response to God, not in to earn anything, is good obedience. And sometimes it's going to be a great struggle. And sometimes it's not. But it's, in, this is the same quality of obedience. There it is. Couldn't we say that um, pursuing the joyfulness in the obedience is obedience in itself? Because if it's not joyful, it could be joyful because that's also a command from the Lord? Yes. Um, no, obedience is obedience, joy is joy, right? So sometimes you're not going to want to do something and you're still going to do it because you acknowledge that God is your Lord. And there's not much joy in the doing of it. But the more you do it, the more you realize that God's presence in your life, you might grow in joy as well, right? I know that some people like to differentiate joy and happiness. I don't think they're, I think they're the same. I don't see in the Bible that dif, the difference. So there are times where we are not going to be happy, right? It would be crazy for us to be happy when the loved one dies. The worst advice you can give at the funeral is say, oh, for the family, don't cry. He's in a better place. True, he's in a better place, but please cry because you're going to miss him. And it's okay to sorrow. You don't sorrow, you sorrow as, with hope, but you sorrow and you cry and you miss them because that's what humans do. Be unhumane or even unhuman to not do that, right? So um, I don't know that happiness and joy... I don't want anybody to think, oh, God calls me to do this thing, but I'm not able to rejoice in that yet, so I'm not going to do it till I get to rejoice. Does it make sense? Obedience is obedience. It should happen whether I feel like doing it or not. Okay? It's like being in church on, uh, on time. It should happen whether you feel like it or not. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> Any, anything else? So that's the final, really... Uh, measurement of discernment. Am I living according to the word of God? And am I growing that? And, and the more we grow in obedience, the more we're growing in discernment as well. And then next week, the goal is to look at several examples in the practice of discernment to kind of wrap up this series. All right? Any final questions or comments? All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your spirit and the gift of your word. We thank you that your spirit guides us in all truth. The truth has already been revealed to us in your word. Help us to live according to it. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.